amazing how one word can totally change the Well, actually, I need to become a little trying. Well, we have, um, I'll start talking even before I But we have an incredible event in Jesus' ministry in the passage that Deborah just read for us out of Matthew 4. That Jesus is dealing directly with Satan. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you have any sense whatsoever in the last few days, the last few weeks, you have contended with the enemy of your soul? You have had to deal with Satan or his forces in some way, shape, or form in your life. See several heads nodding. The reality is, all of us have, whether we were aware of it or not, we were contending with the enemy at some level. Um, Satan doesn't sleep. He doesn't take days off. Uh, he's not a nice guy who recognizes when you're having a rough time, so he's going to leave you alone for a while. We are always contending with the enemy. And we get to see something in Jesus that, that then applies back to our study of Psalm 119. A, a few minutes ago, I saw a bench, I mean, a, a step stool here by the podium. I thought it was a hymn. <laughs> but I can almost reach the top of the board. <laughs> but in Psalm 119, all about the Word of God, and we see something in Jesus contending with the enemy. And that when the enemy came in, in two of these three temptations, and I know we've talked about this before, uh, this passage is capturing for us, and a similar passage in Luke is capturing for us in a sense, the essence of the temptation. But we also are told Jesus was tempted for 40 days. So we're just seeing, uh, we're seeing some crystallization or, or some focus out of that temptation. But what we're actually looking at is the strategy of the enemy through those 40 days of temptation. And it's worth noticing that Satan Two-thirds of the time, he used scripture. And most of you are very familiar with this. Most of the cults that are trying to sway Christians from the truth use scripture. The, the, the problem is they twist it out of its original purpose. They twist it out of its revealed meaning. They twisted out of the heart and the purposes of God that are clarified through 66 books, over 40 prophets and writers, so that God is speaking consistently through Scripture. But I like what Jesus said when he answered Satan, and he, he said, every word from God, He said it that way. Every word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word 
that proceeds from the mouth of God. And one of the things that we see in Psalm 119 is that the word of God is being presented over and over again in a variety of facets. And then these words of Jesus get to be wisdom for us and the teaching of Psalm 119 get to be wisdom for us. So I won't, I won't do all the definitions again. But we have two, in the Hebrew of Psalm 119, we have two different versions of word. We have law, meaning all the revealed instruction, the promises of God to do and not to do. We have also there his ways, everything that flows from the character of God shared with us in scripture. We have his commandments, specific things to do and not do. We have his statutes, which gives us enduring principles revealed by God for us to observe and follow. We have his ordinances, which again now gets down into the doing of specifics. And then even more specific, we have his precepts which again carries the sense of now this is going to get down into the down into the daily living there's an eye in there the daily living of his truth we have his judgments where God tells us his perspective on the ways of man the choices of men and women and children and he also tells us the rewards and punishment for our ways and our choices and we have his testimonies his witness so I said I wasn't going to do definitions and I sort of got pulled into that <laughs> that that these different words and your translations may use slightly different words that that mean the same thing but those different words are giving us different facets of the word of god and jesus said now if you want to have life man doesn't live by bread alone if you want real life pay attention to all the words of god and so one of the things that we're going to see in psalm 119 is that I can't just simply say, you know what? I love the promises of God. His commandments stink, but I love those promises. I just want to gather the promises. And I can slide into sloppy, faithless living, just focus on promises because the commandments are hard or they don't seem possible, they don't seem doable. And so I set part of the word of God aside, I ignore it. I may even agree that it's true in the, in the word of God, but I set it aside. I'm not living by everything he said. I just like the promises. And there's others who could say, oh, those promises, that's a bunch of emotional crud. You don't need that. Just pay attention to the commandments. And they will slide into legalism. Everything we ignore of the word of God leads to some kind of loss or damage over time if we're not saying father i'm going to give you authority to speak to me about anything and everything and so for example i've heard plenty of people say through the years well i just study the words of jesus 
Well, I better be careful because Jesus quoted other scripture a lot. So somehow Jesus, in his own speaking, believed that scripture had authority that he could speak to mankind. He wasn't just saying, I'm here finally, you can ignore everything else. It's, in fact, he even tells the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, you believe the scriptures, and if you really search the scriptures and really believe the scriptures, you would recognize me because those scriptures point you to me. So you and I get to have this, this wisdom that as we grow as believers, that we get to be learning from Psalm 119, learning from these words of Jesus, that I want to be careful that I pay attention to all the Word of God. In fact, sometimes the challenge would be when I get to the Word of God in an area that's uncomfortable, I probably need to camp there and pay even better attention. When I get to something in the Word of God that's hard to swallow, hard, hard to receive, hard to follow through on, I may need to go deeper in understanding how does this truth apply to me? How do I get a larger grasp on what God is speaking so that I don't operate at a surface level where it's easy? God's speaking something that's really hard. And I, I, I know I say this frequently, but I feel like this is a good place to, to remind you, and you know this, just so we keep this in mind, Every time we look at the Word of God and we go, that sounds impossible. That Jesus said, it is. If you live it apart from me. If you're going to depend on your own human strength, your own human power, your own improvability, it's impossible. But what he also said was, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reverse of that, he just finished saying in John 55, I'm the vine. You're the van, you're the branches. If you're embedded in me and drawing life for me, you will be fruitful. I can accomplish things in your imperfect, unfinished being because it flows from me. And so as we look into the Word of God and we see things that are difficult or challenging, I also want to say this, and I've said this, I think, numerous times, but it also points to this. I can look into the Word of God and I can either see condemnation. I had a, a young lady, well, young compared to me. I had a young lady in counseling this past week and, and she was raised in a particular denomination. And she said, literally, she said, I grew up through decades of church and I didn't know God loved me. I just thought I was a screw up and a failure. And every time I looked at the Word of God, that's all I saw. Here's how I'm failing. So if I look into the Word of God and I see His callings and His command, it is real easy to see how I'm failing if that's my focus. It's actually really easy. And what Scripture is constantly trying to do, that for those who are in Christ, no condemnation, is now to understand my equipping, for growth. So the passage that Zion read for us out of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that the Word of God is inspired. All of Scripture, and I like that again, he's saying all of Scripture. I don't choose, choose parts that I want to eliminate. All Scripture now equips you and I as sons and daughters of God. We're now equipped to keep growing into our purposes and our ministries and I like the way it says it, even though we don't use the word that way, 
that we will be adequately equipped. And, and a lot of times we use the word adequate as barely enough. Well, was that enough salt? Well, it was adequate, but I've actually got a little more salt. Is that enough of a paycheck? Uh, it was adequate, got the bills barely paid, but I sure would have liked to raise. So we use the word adequate sometimes as barely enough, almost enough. But that's not what the Greek is saying in 2 Timothy 3.17. What it's saying is anything you need to accomplish the purpose of God, it will be fully and completely met through what God has provided in Scripture. For your growth, you won't be perfect today. Actually, you won't be perfect anytime you're on planet Earth. But day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you and I get to predict this. If I am nourishing my heart and spirit like Jesus said on all the word of God, and there's a diligence to that, there's a pursuit of that, I can predict this. I will keep seeing God's growth in me, and I will be adequately equipped, fully equipped for the moment, for what I'm called to do, at this level and stage of my life. So I remember reading the, the biography of Billy Graham. If you've never read it, it's, it's an encouragement. And I remember moments in Billy Graham's life where he knew, man, I'm not ready yet for that. But God wasn't calling him yet to do that. He was ready for this. So right now, he's gonna lead someone in Bible study he wasn't ready to be a worldwide evangelist, but he was ready to lead someone in Bible study. He wasn't equipped yet to speak to nations, but he's equipped to speak to a nation. Every one of you, if, if you're in Jesus Christ, every single one of us is adequately equipped for the ministry that God will call us to do today. And I and you, none of us, are equipped for everything that God will call us to 10 years from now, or 50 years from now, but we're not there yet. You are adequately equipped for what the Holy Spirit will ask of you today in the Word, in Him. Now, sometimes that might mean adequately equipped includes that you got some stuff to repent of so that you're available. You have some stuff to change and let go of so that your hands aren't too full to receive what God wants to put in them. So yes, there may be a whole bunch of challenging steps to that, but we are adequately equipped. We are sufficiently equipped. Now, let's go to Psalm 119. And I, I know that every time I mention this, I, I, I almost feel like you guys have to believe I'm mentally deficient in some way. <laughs> that I have to keep going through repeated recognitions that I can't get everything done in the time I think it can be done. Maybe I am mentally deficient. But that recognition that there is so much here but we're going to try to harvest a few of the basics. And if you recall, when I asked you to do your homework, one was looking at the choices and the attitudes 
that this, these passages are calling us to? What are the choices and attitudes toward the Word of God that I'm being called to? And then, what are the outcomes? If, if I do these things, what can I predict as the outcome? Or what are the God's promises if I pursue this? And what I want to start with today is just looking at some of the attitudes. And again, as we look at these attitudes, I was very much aware while I was reading and, and studying and preparing for today that looking at some of these attitudes, I would go, well, Father, I have moments of those attitudes. I, I might have a period of time, an hour, two hours, a day. I might have periods of time where I have that attitude, but Father, I do not yet have a maturity of, of growth where that's always my attitude to the Word of God. And again, the enemy would, both, would then say, well, then you better quit. You're a failure. So as we look at these attitudes, please recognize you will fall short of what's being described. And that the Holy Spirit is joyfully excited about helping us grow in the attitudes we're looking at. So that rather than seeing failure, we see a calling and an equipping to grow these attitudes. So looking at Psalm 150, um, at Psalm 119, one of the very first attitudes I love out of this, you look at verse two, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. I think I need a new. I think I need a new. <laughs> see how many steps we go through. Okay. Yay. All their heart. And two things I want to recognize out of this attitude. It fits with what Jesus said. Here's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And scripture does that a lot where God says, bring everything to the table in your love relationship with God. And that is a challenge because I am confident nobody in this room is there yet. None of us can say all the time, all my heart. And again, he's saying, but I want you to start building that vision that you're seeking me with more and more and more and more of your heart. That includes that you notice, what are the obstacles to seeking him with all my heart? So that might be different for all of you. For every one of us, there might be different challenges. What gets in the way of seeking him with all my heart? It might be relationships. There might be relationships in my life that impede the purity of my seeking. There might be hobbies and interests and involvements. And I'm not even talking about sin. Just things that rob me of my passion for God. Now there might also be sin, habitual sin, things I give into, temptations that I, in alignment with the enemy instead of alignment with God. So that if I'm gonna seek God with all my heart, that includes not just saying yes, Father, help me, I want to seek you with all my heart. 
Because then God will immediately say, what are you willing to change to do that? What will you reassess? What will you put in a different priority level? What will you eliminate if it needs to be eliminated? What will you add if it needs to be added? And I, I think I've said this numerous times because it comes up almost every week, somewhere, somewhere during the counseling week, someone will, will bemoan the fact that they have so little time for the Word of God. Oh man, I love being workouts. I'm just so busy. And then we assess what their week looked like. And if they're honest, and I, most people aren't, as we get into the details of what their look, week looks like, we find many hours that are about choice. So that somehow I have many hours to binge on my favorite Netflix series, but boy, the Word of God was hard to pack in there. There were still seven more episodes to watch. How could I do John or Philip or Philippians? I, I had I had to finish the series, and it might not be something like entertainment. It might actually be good things. Where pastors have shared with me, active in a, in a sense, apparently successful pastors have shared that they don't have time in the Word for the Word of God in their week because they're so busy doing ministry. There's something wrong with that picture. And they know it. That's why they're that's why they're addressing it. That if this love relationship with God is a two-way communication, I need time for prayers. I need time to talk to him. I need time to listen to him. And I also hope you notice the word in this. It didn't just say, it didn't say seek Bible time. It said seek him. So that when you and I go into the Word of God, we're recognizing this is a personal pursuit. I am not going into the Word of God to just expand my knowledge base of Christian doctrine. And I could do that. And it might even be profitable. But what God, right here at the very beginning of this chapter, is He says, I want you to envision this when you go into the Word of God. You're seeking me. This is personal. This is personal. And if you drop down to... Verse 10, it expresses the same thought. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So that, that the writer of Psalm 119 is recognizing seeking you involves pursuing your work. I can't say I'm seeking you, but I don't have time for your word. And I better not say, I'm just seeking the word. I don't need you. I just need more knowledge. I need more strategies. I need more tactics. I need more stuff out of the word of God that you and I would recognize as we're seeking the word of God. We're seeking him personally. So, and again, I would encourage you that you pause for a moment right now and ask, when I went into the word of God this past week, to what extent was there some longing in my heart to be with him? To what extent was there some longing in my heart that was saying, Father, I want to hear from you. And that way we take it down into the personal instead of, and take it out of the realm of an obligation or duty, as we've already talked about, into personal communication. And we can go through, and that some version of all their heart, all your heart, all my heart, is repeated several times. Now, go to verse 14. Psalm 119 says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. 
I have rejoiced. And this attitude, every time you see the word rejoice, it's worth recognizing the root concept behind rejoice is celebrate. And so that as you and I are in the word of God, he's saying, bring this attitude to your study of the word. Pause enough to recognize out of this thing I just read, what is it that God would want me to celebrate? Out of this passage, out of this command, out of this warning, out of this promise, out of this just revelation of truth, what is it that God wants me to celebrate? Because I may have to dig a little to pull something to celebrate out of this. And again, that way I'm not just a, a comatose, uh, passive reader of stuff. I'm digging into it to explore treasure and to celebrate something. Now, I, I almost would want to get a show of hands, but I won't. But I'll just ask this pondering question again for growth, not for condemnation. When's the last time you were in the Word of God and you had to pause and celebrate? You just had to pause and celebrate. Father, that's amazing. What joy in that. What? Wow, thank you. That's incredible. Good for me that that promise is there. And again, everybody doesn't need to show it the same. So I, I cry a lot. <laughs> it's a secret. None of you have discovered that. <laughs> I thought it was time to reveal that. <laughs> you don't have to shed a tear to celebrate. That, that's my emotional makeup. That doesn't have to be your emotional makeup. But celebrating is the call. Celebrating is the command. Celebrating is the attitude he's looking for. So you get to figure out for yourself, how do I express it when I really celebrate something? I want to start nourishing and expecting that and building that for my time in the Word of God. And if I'm not celebrating, and again, this is the challenge for growth. If I'm not celebrating, and I don't mean in every single time you're in the Word, but if there is not some ongoing opportunities to celebrate, then part of what that probably means is there's a whole level of application and implication from that truth that I didn't take the time to harvest. So just the very fact that I belong to God, how many people here are aware that you are sinners? Boy, the hand should have shot up for that one. We get evidence, start say every week, we get evidence every day that we fall short. That's what sin means. I fall short of the full perfection and holiness of Jesus Christ. And every time I go into the Word of God and I read those promises about my eternal salvation, there should be some celebration to recognize, Father, I never could have earned this. Father, I get to absolutely have rock solid confidence and faith in this eternal destiny and I could do nothing to have earned it. What an incredible gift. That's worth celebrating. But it doesn't stop there. But he says on top of just saving you from hell, which you deserve, now I've made you sons and daughters and a whole wealth of blessings through your life on planet Earth and then a whole inconceivable wealth of blessings through eternity now belong to you. You have a reason to celebrate. 
And when I'm going through hardship, and when I'm going through difficulties, and I'm going through disappointments and tragedies, and now I have the promise of, of his comfort, and I even have the promise that nothing for me has no purpose. If you are a son or daughter of God, everything in your life has purpose. That God says, I can use that, I can use that, I can use that to help you grow into the likeness of Christ. And if I couldn't use it, it didn't even happen. If I allowed it to happen, I have a way to use it for your growth into the likeness of Christ. And a non-believer has nothing to claim in that promise. It doesn't belong to them. So again, this rejoicing, this celebration means I need to pause and harvest. So I would actually encourage you that in the week ahead, whether you're continuing to study Psalm 119 or you're in other passages of Scripture or you're just reading through a chapter before you go to sleep at night, that you would actually consider, Father, what do I pause and harvest from this thing I just read that gives me a reason to celebrate? That if I believe you're telling the truth and I see how that truth applies to me, what do I have to celebrate? And, and for some of you, you may have good vocabulary for celebration. Where, you know, folks who grew up in church, we may have all the hallelujahs and, and amens and praise. You know, we may have the vocabulary. That's just vocabulary. If you have different vocabulary to say, wow, Father, this is amazing. Thank you.
the Word of God, but I can, I can have a conversation. I can answer most of the questions in the Sunday school class. I'm good. That means I don't comprehend the value of what God, and we're going to keep seeing that through Psalm 190. There are incredible values promised out of my time in the Word. And the more I envision those values, the more I envision those gains, the more I envision the treasure of what's to be harvested in the Word, I will be feeding and nourishing this attitude of longing that I look forward to what God has to show me. Now, one of the things that's, I think, a helpful tactic in longing for the Word of God, and it fits with celebrating, is there something I just read that would be worth sharing with someone else? Is there something I just read is there something I'm, I'm understanding or capturing out of this that I would celebrate? And now I think it's worth sharing with my wife or my husband or my son or daughter or my mom or my dad or my friend. There's something I've harvested that I can treasure and it's so good. I want to share it with somebody else because the more, the more I'm celebrating and the more I see things that are worth sharing, then the more I will nourish that next sense of, I can't wait to get back to this. I can't wait to have a, a period of time where I don't have to do housework, or I don't have to do yard work, or I don't have to do my job, or I don't have to play and catch up on that series on Netflix. I can't wait for when I next get to sit down with the Word of God and hear what treasure He wants to share with me. Because I know I'm going to find something to share with someone. So I get to nourish that sense of longing through my celebration, and I get to work nourish that sense of longing by seeing if there's anything I can harvest for sure. Now, one of the things that I think is that has to be a caution for us. Frequently, God has something that you're celebrating or that you just notice and you're amazed. And you're probably going to think, well, I could share that with Bob or Susie or mom or dad or my son or my daughter, but you know what? They probably already know this. That is irrelevant. That is irrelevant. Paul says, you know, I'm writing the same stuff to you again. He says this several times in his letter. I'm writing the same stuff to you I've already written, and now my command to you is repeat it again to each other. That you might be calling a friend or you might be sharing something with your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, right at a moment when that truth would be an uplift for their family. When you would help them realign their thinking with the faithfulness and the, and the dependability. So it's not just a matter of am I giving somebody new information. The vast majority... For, how many people in here have been believers for 10 years or more? Okay. The, the majority of the congregation just raised their hand. And all you at home, you can raise your hands. I, I can't see that. But that recognition that after 10 years, you're probably not going to bump into a passage of Scripture, or at least the odds are real low that you're going to bump into a passage of Scripture, that you go, I've never heard that before. But what you will over and over and over and over again bump into is, boy, did I need to hear that today. Boy, did I need to be reminded of that at this moment. 
And, it, and it's interesting to me, we've talked about, uh, several different friends and I have talked about this. Uh, if you have a devotional book that just says, well, here's this idea and here's this passage of scripture. And most devotionals have like a, a little blurb, a couple of paragraphs, maybe a page. And that, that meditation devotional was written by some other believer probably two or three years ago, sitting in an office, praying, putting things together. Maybe it was put together by a group of Christians. And now here you are, because it says, it says March 7th, 2021 devotion. And you read it. And actually, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many people have ever been in a devotional that was written and produced somewhere else by someone else? And, and you read that devotional and you said, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. I've sure had that. Yes. What if you had? That's the Holy Spirit. That's not because those devotional writers are psychic. It's because the Holy Spirit said, you were willing to hear from my word. I can apply this word to your life in a way that brings you encouragement and hope and health and a reminder of things that are true. Now, it's also true that sometimes, even, even after, so I've been a believer for a hundred and, no, I've been a believer for 59 years. No, 60 years now. I've been a believer for 60 years. And, and as I've said before, when I say that number, it makes me think I should be way further along in my growth. But even after 60 years of a believer, when I'm in the Word of God, God still amazes me by how he connects things. Where this passage of truth that I've known to be true for decades, and this other passage that I've known to be true for decades, and now I see how they connect in a way that gives me even more confidence that this is the word of God. That gives me even more confidence in the prophetic power of God's word. That gives me more confidence that everything God spoke is one unified truth Focused on Jesus Christ. So it may not be a new thing, but a new connection, a new confidence that God is speaking to you. Oh my gosh. We are going to end right now because the roast is burnt. And I'm okay with that because we're going to pray over your roast and that you will be grateful for that burnt roast. Let's pray to this one. Father, I do thank you that you mean this stuff, Father. You're not just running us through some kind of religious school so that we know the right thing to say. You are trying to take every man, woman, and child in this room, that me and each one of us are calling us to grow in treasuring your word and harvesting treasure from your word that makes a difference in our life. And Father, you're calling us to attitudes of the heart that equip us for that harvest. And that without these attitudes, Father, we could come dead and lifeless, or we could remain at the same level and not even grow. And Father, you know there, there are millions of believers who are in the Word of God day after day, year after year, and exhibit no growth. We do not want to be those people. Father, we want to be going into the, into the Word and harvesting everything that equips us to keep going as your sons and daughters. 
So, Father, I pray that your spirit would help me and help each one of us that we wouldn't just notice these words. We wouldn't just notice these attitudes and choices and promises and outcomes. We would pursue them on purpose. And Jesus, again, we want to thank you that you've come to dwell in us so that you're our power and our authority. You're our very life to make this growth possible. Father, help us grow in the vision of our lives that we don't see you and the things you're teaching us as a little side issue while we do marriage and raise children and build a business and save for our retirement and all the other things of life that, are, that matter to you. But we would see you right at the core, literally you personally, right at the core of all of those endeavors, ready to show us wisdom and give us promises and encouragement and, and take us deeper into the character and calling that we're meant to live in those marriages and in that parenting and in that business and in that retirement. That in all these things, we receive the truth of your word to grow with you at the core. You personally. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the love that means you're patient with us while we learn these things. In Jesus' name, amen.